So I was 18, and I asked my brother-in-law to show me his ways, because he played D&D at the time. He's He said, oh, I don't have my books, I don't have any of my miniatures, because he plays with miniatures. And I said, I don't care, Like I, I, I'm interested. And when I say I'm interested, I mean I'm interested in, in learning about the social aspect, because obviously I can play video games that do this kind of thing. He gets a Lego dragon, like, you know, the kind with the arms out, and it's oh, got like, the yeah, red wings. Oh, yeah, the green one, yeah. Yeah, the green Lego dragon, and a checkerboard. And a couple of Lego <laughs> figures. And he says, all right, you're fighting a dragon. It took him like half an hour to set this up, by the way. So me and my <laughs> sister sit down. And we're like, we don't know anything. Like literally zero is what we know. And he proceeds to kill our characters. And it wasn't fun. And I hated every second of it. And we got it from the table disgusted. And I, I didn't talk to him for the rest of the day. And, and I didn't play D&D for five years. Wait, so... What did he say when he killed these? Like, uh, I win or that's D&D. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was something like uh, he he apologized because he didn't know how to balance it. Ugh. And I, so, I'm just like, well, dude, like I wanted to interact with a with a tavern owner. I didn't want to fight a dragon. But anyway, I didn't play for a long time. <laughs> but eventually you found your way home. Welcome to Vox Arcana, a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. This is episode two, and dragons. When you think of dragons in pop culture, what do you think of? I know what I think of, the mother of dragons, Daenerys Targaryen. Really? You think of Game of Thrones? Actually, if I'm being honest, I think of, when I actually think of dragons, I think of a movie from the 90s called Dragonheart, I think it's called. Oh, it's got no. Sean Connery and a really bad CG dragon. <laughs> it's it's trash, and I <laughs> highly recommend it. <laughs> See, for, um, when I think of... Highly refined trash. When I think of dragons, I don't think of Game of Thrones because those are wyverns. Those are not dragons. Dragons have <laughs> four legs, and they have their wings. Watch Game of Thrones, they have two back hind legs, and then they walk with their wing arms. Wyverns! She is the mother of <laughs> and, wyverns. And spoilers, uh, in case you haven't watched Game of Thrones, there are dragons in the show. Yeah, well, I thought that was a Oh, dude, I haven't gotten that far. <sighs> Spoiler alert. Um, so when I think of dragons, <laughs> I think of... I think of, honestly, the book Aragon. I think of uh, Saphira, the main blue dragon. Uh, just because I read that when I was very impressionable, and that's like what I think of when I think of a dragon. Have you tried to read Aragon recently? Uh, no, but I've heard that it does not hold up, and that breaks my <laughs> heart, and I am pretending that uh, that it is how I imagined it when I was younger. Some things are better in the mists of memory, I think. Oh, I think that goes for many a thing. Actually, on that topic, uh, all of our D&D experiences are only going to get better looking back on them. Because oh it will gosh. be remembered fondly. That's so true. Like, like unless you remember it poorly, in which case, David, it sounds like the memory will get worse. David, it sounds like you've got a, a lot of poor memories of D and I just hate D and D in general. Oh, You're no. just a masochist. Why, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> why did we? Yeah, I, I hate this. I, I, Jake, let's have a sidebar. Uh, we got to talk about David. So, okay. David, what is your? What do you think of when you think of dragons? Uh. Probably 
the Hobbit. Smog and not not the bad one, not the not the bad one, but the the old cartoon one. You've oh. seen that? Like, yes. Oh no! Of course I have. I have not seen that. <laughs> oh, it that that's the, the I think that's my first dragon experience. I almost bought that um, at a Goodwill for a dollar on VHS. Should I have oh, David? Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. I might have to go back. It's it's definitely worth the watch. So um, okay. would recommend. I have a question regarding that too. When you think of a dragon, like if I say imagine a dragon, what color is it? Oh my gosh, it's red. Always red. Really? Mine is green. Weird. Uh, mine is like a brown or like a coppery dragon. Huh. That's super interesting. Like like just the and I we'll definitely get into uh some of the colors of dragons and um the chromatic versus metallic green i feel like is the most like out of place what no green is like the the historical uh dragon i feel like because they're they're more like lizards and so they're kind of green Mm. Eh. all right fine my opinion's wrong i'll allow it (laughs) so let's talk about dragons in D. &D. how do you use dragons in D? &D? i think they work fantastic as um obviously a final boss um, I think they work uh, also fantastic as an NPC. Um, I think uh, dragons are such a staple. Obviously, they are 50% of the title that <laughs> they are used in kind of a cliche way because they're literally part of the title. They are baked into the game almost. Um, I like using dragons in ways that, that changes how you view them or it kind of breaks your expectations. So they're not always final bosses. Oftentimes, they are uh, good or they are an NPC, or they are a quest giver, or they are hurt, or something like that, just to to change it. I like that because I feel like there's not enough dragons in D and D, like for real. Uh, if you're going purely off of the monster manual, they're really too hard to fight unless you handicap the dragon in some way. I, I found a way to handicap the dragon. I'm, I'm not acting like I found this, but I think a good way uh, to handicap a dragon is make it a baby dragon. Um, in my most recent campaign, uh, my player found a, a dragon egg, um, and a red dragon hatched out of it. Um, and now he is kind of contemplating that nature versus nurture of raising a technically, uh, evil alignment creature. Um, and it's really interesting because it's a baby dragon. So I think dragons, a lot of times you just think of ancient dragons, but I think you can age them down and make them, uh, a good combat encounter or a good encounter with any any group of any level in a lot of ways i think that it would be like raising a crocodile because crocodiles are a purely evil creature <laughs> uh, well in, uh, in the real world me. as a proud <laughs> crocodile uh, owner <laughs> i take qualm with that sir you're in my swamp <laughs> <laughs> i think i think for me i like the idea of dragons more than actual dragons and that may sound weird but I like having a world shaped by dragons where there are these huge, just monstrous threats that can easily just come in and just wipe out an entire civilization. But the the idea that there are cultures dedicated to slaying them, that people worship them, is really interesting and fascinating and brings a whole new aspect into just the game. No, I really like that. Like it, it's like the dragon is not necessarily a typical combat encounter. It's more of like a a, a specter yeah. that haunts over the entire world. I love that. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, David, because we see that in Game of Thrones, where uh, dragons are so rare and legendary, and really they mostly exist in the past. 
mm-hmm. um, used by people who could actually um, control them, more or less. And so it's cool to let it shape the history of your world, because I feel like sort of the default uh, scenario for D&D, dragons are just another monster that sits in a cave with a bunch of treasure and waits yeah. to be killed. And and uh, that's boring. Yeah. Uh, but but I think they're, even if it's just using the Forgotten Realms, or most D&D things have what Dave was talking about, kind of that history of dragons that have sh- they literally have shaped the world regardless of if it's tiamat yeah. um or if it's some of the old dragon things even if it's kind of the draconic bloodline um that goes into the sorcerer's powers or just um dragonkin or uh, i call him dragonkin uh the dragonborn race mm. um i think that that's a cool example of how just the draconic elements have infected every part of the game including uh race so that that raises a good question. What do you think of the Dragonborn in D anD? d See that that's why I call them Dragonkin because whenever <laughs> new players I go, oh, you want to be a Dragonborn? They're like, oh, like Skyrim and Fusroda, you know, because that's what they think. Of. Yeah, I don't know why no, I'm playing with that's... all people from Brooklyn, but <laughs> I feel like uh, based on what you've said, Jake, what I know about your campaign, you have really good players ninety eight percent of the time, and then. Occasionally, you have someone who says "fuss roda," and it's just a deal breaker for you. <laughs> no, like, just I, like, I think I am, about I am pack it up. I am very pampered with incredible players um, that I have had the benefit of them being in my party um, or on the table, in the table, around the table uh, for a long period of time. Um, so I know how they play. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. And yeah, I've been so lucky with those good players that when a bad player comes in. <laughs> Um, and just starts connecting dots where there are none. Uh, just like, Fus Roda, man. It's like, oh, oh, all right. Dragonborn, do you guys... Um, I found with my players, a lot of people, um, especially in 5e, are really attracted to the Dragonborn class. I feel like the Dragonborn... Or race, excuse me. I think the Dragonborn race is yep. super popular um, recently. Is that the case for you guys? Because it has been for me. Uh, if I'm being honest, the only race that my players play are humans boring i play with a lot of new players almost all the time so um they just go with a safe pick which is humans i'm a human i'll play a human (laughs) logic check for me i think the dragonborn offers an interesting opportunity because the race is so rare Mm -hmm. it's like i'm talking i'm not talking like players picking it i'm talking in game yeah it's just it's not a very common thing Mm -hmm. you don't have people who are part dragon walking around yeah and if they are they're going to be definitely out of the ordinary they're they're definitely going to be of notice like someone's going to be like you're like part dragon that's a big deal Some people are going to want to hunt you some people are going to want to like worship you some people are going to want to treat you differently and that will shape player interaction which for me is the most interesting part of what makes the, the dragon kin or dragon board interesting yeah no i i really like that i love in general when the race that you pick literally brings in D racism um <laughs> where people are they treat you differently you know and it's hard to blame them like if a massive hulking reptilian uh lightning breathing creature <laughs> sits down at your tavern uh, it's gonna be strange. It's going to be like a big deal. So, so I really enjoy when players pick the dragonkin race because it gives you the opportunity. Same thing with tiefling. It gives you the opportunity to kind of treat them differently and see how they respond. 
there was a really interesting backstory to Dragonborn from a guy named Matt Colville. He's on YouTube, and I highly oh, yeah. recommend watching his videos. Yeah. He, in his world, he made the dragon kin, as we're calling them in this no, episode. No, no, call him Dragonborn. I, I just, I do it as a pet peeve against Skyrim. <laughs> he makes his Dragonborn, they were actually a created race by one of the gods. And so they just sort of appeared into the world, and they are essentially like a royal guard, like an, a line of royal guards. And so if you see one you know that they are descendants or they are created specifically for this one purpose. And um, I just like the idea of them being special because mm. it, it makes it really interesting. And I love interesting characters. Mm-hmm. So what are some memorable moments involving dragons from our games? Um, for me, uh, it's got to be when uh, my players were in a, you know, a mountain um, and they were uh, walking in. I think they had to go through a mountain pass or something. They had to go through a, a small tunnel um, and suddenly a snarling dragon comes out of the cave and they just, you know, they freak out obviously because it's a massive dragon, um, and it's low light and they're freaking out. Um, and they're just like, okay, do we run? Do we, uh, hunker down? Um, and then that's where I cut the session and I was like, you know, cliffhanger, uh, next time, you know, we'll find out next time. And then that dragon ended up being, you know, they were all the whole week talking about having a big fight with this dragon. Uh, but it ended up being a uh, either brass or bronze dragon, um, which was good aligned. Um, so it ended up being an NPC that that helped them. Um, but I loved that scare of just the initial like, <sighs> and then it's like, hey, I need you all to help me, you know. My main memory of using dragons in my games is from the Pathfinder Beginner Box, which I ran exactly one game of for a group of people that I don't really see anymore. And at the end of the adventure, spoiler alert, if you're playing the Pathfinder Beginner Box, a dragon swoops down, and you have to fight it. Nice. However, it only fights for like two turns, two rounds, and then it flies away. But when it came down, it's dealing massive damage, like massive AoE damage. And my players essentially gave up. They declared that the game was unfair, and they laid down and were ready to die. And I was oh saying... Oh my God. I know, and I was like, guys, just, oh just try to survive for... Yeah, uh, and you know you can't tell players that it's gonna fly away in two turns, because um, it takes you out of the moment. So it was really strange because they were level one, um, and it it was frustrating. And maybe that's the main reason I don't use dragons is because they can just lay waste to a party really quickly. Are are they like too intimidating? To too? be honest, I would kind of do the same thing in real life though. Like you imagine <laughs> a giant dragon swoops in. I'm just going to, you know, roll up in the fetal position. See, I don't know. (laughs) When I hear dragon, I immediately think dragon slayer. And I think that 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 just brings about the the courageous element in my character that wants to kill it. Um, I don't know. I I think they can be too intimidating. But that goes back to what I was talking about earlier of scaling them down age-wise to make them Mm. uh, less um, intimidating. Because, yeah, an ancient dragon, like, is the (laughs) best thing to one of the best going back to kind of how we use dragons in our games uh i once had a dragon that was um well basically the, my players were approaching a, a lake um and they had to go get something on one of the islands of the lake um and the lake had like several small islands kind of in a line um 
And so they get onto the island and they're trying to figure it out. And suddenly the island starts shaking and this massive ancient dragon emerges and they're like on the back of this massive ancient dragon. And that's the moment where I saw my players like, get, we got to get out of there. I think one, I think the sorcerer just flew away. <laughs> um, and just seeing them jump into the water in full armor, just try to try to trudge out of the lake as fast as they could. There is much to be said about just scaring your players like when when you've been with them long enough so they appreciate a big scare like that like but they don't know that you're just scaring them because obviously this dragon could just turn around and say here's the next quest phase <laughs> it's a living <laughs> no um, <laughs> just some quip <laughs> it just goes back to sleep he's, he's just... voiced by uh by mario actually <laughs> it's a me ancient green dragon <laughs> No, no, no. So the actor who plays Mario, in case the listeners don't know, also voiced the dragon from Skyrim, who delivers all your oh, quests. Oh yeah, wait, the one from the old live action movie that Mario. Yeah, and you would you would never know. No, no, not that Mario. I mean, like Mario. From... Oh, the literal Nintendo Mario. Yes, that is I. That is almost unbelievable. And you would never know hearing it from his voice because he's yes. like, I am a dragon and I speak the thum. And then you're like, but isn't that guy like you know? Yeah. Wah, <laughs> That's so weird. That's interesting. <laughs> I would never have guessed. Okay, so straight up, how many times uh, have you used a dragon in your campaign? In any of your campaigns? Like twice, probably. Really? Wait. I've used dragons zero times in my planned campaign. The only What? Well, are we counting baby dragons? Uh, sure. All right, the only time I've used dragons is when my party fought two baby black dragons i think they're called dragon whelps they breathe acid and uh we were like third level and they almost died i don't really have much opportunity to to use them and when huh. i do i i just there's it seems like there's better enemies to use hmm. so i mean from episode one and episode two it seems that we can play anyone can play dungeons and dragons with neither dungeons nor dragons and uh that to me seems like a travesty um and will you should use both dungeons and dragons more i i like dungeons and i would be willing to fill them with dragons uh but <laughs> last time i played a dungeon one of my players at the end took me aside and said please let's not do any more dungeons oh no uh, and he was correct <clears throat> to uh to ask that because all the things um if you've listened to episode one which you if you haven't you should um, we talked about traps and puzzles and parts of dungeons that are roadblocks. And if you have this linear path and there's a big gate in the way that's blocked by some certain, you know, you have to do the specific thing to get it open, it's not really fun. And so this, we suggested having it as a side path or a bonus area, that's what you gate off in the main area you can access. Um, and this dungeon that I ran, which was the um, the Claws of Madness, which otherwise was very good, uh, they did this all the time where they gated areas with puzzles. The one in particular that I'm thinking of, um, they could not solve this one puzzle room, and eventually they just smashed everything, and I uh, I had to make it work. Oh, they they couldn't solve it. What a nightmare! So back to dragons. There are two main uh, types of dragons. There is chromatic dragons. There is metallic dragons. So may, the chromatic dragons are the ones that are the colorful ones. Uh, they are the red, green, white, black, and blue. Um, I'm sure there's, there's, you know, you can make up any color dragon you want, a rainbow dragon, whatever. Uh, and then there's the metallic, which are the, um, I think it's like 
steel, um, brass, bronze, uh, gold, and silver. So those are the two types of dragons, and they're mainly distinguished by some are evil-aligned, the chromatic ones, and the metallic ones are traditionally good-aligned, um, which is really interesting. Um, what do you guys think about that? Have you ever had that dichotomy? Have you ever had... Um, have you ever thought about dragons as good or bad? Or I mean, it kind of leads into the question of monsters as intrinsically a certain alignment, which is interesting. What do you guys think? Have you used this? I think for just in dragons in general, since they are so ancient as a like world piece in the D and D universe, like a concept that it kind of make yeah, it kind of makes sense because they are these just beings of just raw power. And having them get that power from one source kind of just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of cool because the interplay between dragons can be also very interesting. Yeah, like dragons fighting. Like th- that's a cool idea, like a concept of just like your your party is walking through the woods and you just see a silver dragon fighting a blue dragon. And they're just wrestling and trying to just rip each other to shreds. And like, what would your party do? Would you be like... Should we help the good aligned one or should we run or should we, you know, like try to kill them Just both? Wait and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a cool idea of them them interacting with each other. I feel like it's less interesting for me to have a being that is known to be a certain alignment and you just look at it and you're like, "Oh, well, yeah. I can literally judge you by your skin color." Um <laughs> that's which is that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Um, I like characters that are a little more gray and, um, I, so I can't believe I'm mentioning World of Warcraft again, but the way they did dragons where there's, um, sort of families of colors and, um, and they all have this ranking within this dragon society. And it was really interesting because they weren't necessarily all one thing. Like this guy had some shades of gray and sometimes you understand, um, I heard a quote somewhere that says, really good villains believe that what they're doing is right, and the best villains actually are right. If we're using dragons as a main villain or um, just a plot point of some kind, I think it's more interesting to have dragons with more diversity in their alignment and their personality. Yeah, absolutely. I think one way to do this um, is playing with the other aspect of alignment, which is lawful and chaotic. Um, Mm -hmm. You can have a uh, lawful evil dragon versus a chaotic good dragon. Um, and that mm. kind of leads into the shades of gray that you were talking about. Um, so you can play with the alignment chart, and I'm sure we'll have an episode about alignment uh, where we can dig into all of the things that that, that entails. Um, but another option is just scrap the whole alignment, and you can have um, do whatever the hell you want with your with your dragons. You can have uh, a good black dragon. You can have um, an evil gold dragon. Like um, mm-hmm. and 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 you can even play with kind of the those those ideas um those tropes, or, yeah, yeah. Th- those tropes you can play with them and say like like you can say a red dragon shows up and everyone's just panicking and running for the hills and he's like hey what's the big deal guys yeah and you can definitely play with those tropes um in regards to alignment and the chromatic versus metallic for me thing. well um one of the other interesting things about dragons is that their goal is just to amount just mountainous hordes of gold and wealth. Mm-hmm. And for me, that kind of just tropes their alignment in general. So they could go to a civilization and justify wiping it out because it's for the good of their horde. Uh-huh. That, yeah, that is... For their, for their... So you can kind of, like, twist twist 
how they view the world because in their minds they are being lawful good by just fighting these guys mm-hmm. per se okay so after all this talk about dragons in the game dungeons and dragons um are you more likely to use dragons uh in your sessions honestly there's a lot of really good monsters in the monster manual that you can use and there's even more in volo's guide and uh, i was reading through that today and there's so many that i don't even know about and i feel like there's a certain expectation from players when they see a dragon. They're thinking it's going to breathe fire or some kind of attack, and uh, they can fly, and they have treasure. And I like my enemies being a little more unknown and mysterious and frightening sometimes. Yeah, that's so a good point. I, I don't know if I have a place for dragons in most of my games. I like David's idea of making them this deep part of history, and maybe they don't exist anymore, and then obviously later in the, uh, the adventure... They find an egg or they find a sleeping dragon. That's really cool. Um, but as for just like a go-to enemy, um, I don't know where I'd find a place for that. Hmm. What about you, David? Um, I'm about the same. I will I'll throw them in occasionally here and there just to spice things up, <laughs> shake things up. But in general, I yeah, I don't think that they're a common enemy that should be encountered very often they're these legendary creatures they're gonna be rare and they're gonna be the their best place is in like the pinnacle epic point of a story for mm-hmm. me yeah and it, and that's not like most sessions aren't you know the pinnacle yeah i, I think that's a really good point and i think the, the the whole rarity aspect is is interesting as well like if dragons were as common as wolves um it wouldn't be a big deal encountering them you know, well, actually, there, there would be no humans left on Earth to fight them. It would <laughs> be dragons. True. They would be. <laughs> but like, if they were more common, it take, kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the uh, excitement um, or just the, the mystery or the, the awe, honestly, of, of seeing one. Um, I think for me, I think it's really important, honestly, to use um, a dragon uh, for people who are just playing the game. Uh, like just starting off, I think it's really cool. To have them fight maybe a young red dragon or something like that. It's cliche. It, it shows them what a monster can be. And, and and I think it's really good. You know, we hopefully we can avoid a situation like you had, Will, with your with your um, brother-in-law where uh, you were just eviscerated by a green Lego <laughs> dragon. Um, but, but I think they do have a good uh, part to play, especially for newer players. Okay, so um, I I host a history podcast, so I would be remiss to mention kind of the history of dragons um, and why they're so interesting, shameless why they're plug. so <laughs> shameless plug, uh, why they're so interesting for um, us us humans that, that play this game called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, like dragons themselves show up in like so many different cultures, independent of each other, um, and I think that's really cool. I mean, it, it leads some conspiracy theorists to believe in literal dragons that actually existed uh, because they show up so often um, in the mythologies of, of cultures that never even interacted with each other, um, which is pretty cool. Which And I think dragons kind of represent to us humans the pinnacle of a monster. Um, you know, it has claws, it has teeth, it has wings, it has scales, it's big. All of those things are elements that, you know, any human, if alone fighting, all of those things are um, things that give the dragon a significant edge. Like, it is kind of the apex predator, almost, of of monsters in general. Um, and I think that's why they, they work so well, um, and that's why they've become the cliche they have. 
The game wouldn't be as exciting if it was about bears and, and dungeons. Dungeons and bears. Dungeons and bears. Bungeons and bears. <laughs> that, that's true. It would be a different game. It would be B&B, and that's, you know, makes me want to go to bed. <laughs> it makes me, it's a, that's a bed and breakfast, folks. Welcome to the Question Vault. This week's question is, what is your favorite monster and why? Yes. So, uh, honorable mention to goblins. Oh, yes. <laughs> I almost they, picked them. To be honest, they they provided some of the most entertaining roleplay experiences. Oh, yeah. Out of any any monsters, because they're just so small and weak and cowardly <laughs> and just easily able to turn on anyone and, de- and they're gross and disgusting and they're debatably and like like conscious like like there, there's a there's right. an interesting yeah, dilemma little... of like are they uh the same as killing a human because like they're tech are like they're just dumb <laughs> which no i, I mean I, I, I don't know there's a there's a blog article i want to write that's about how much of a culture Sentience. does something have to have before you feel bad for killing it because um, in in my mind, exactly goblins right. are just kind of like humanoid chihuahuas, which is why we don't mind killing them. Um, but really, like if they have money or trade, like at what point do they stop being monsters and start being people? Um, and then it raises some really bad ethical questions, like, oh yeah, um, do you know do they deserve do do they deserve to die? Um, maybe this is a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down. David, continue. No, I like it. I, I think it's a, it's a rabbit hole we will definitely explore on a future episode, hopefully. Anyways, uh, so my favorite creature, it's one that I haven't been able to use yet, but I built a campaign around it and it, and the group just fell apart, but the creature is Illithids. Huh. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of potential to do some very, very mind-melding adventures just with the way that they interact with other creatures and the way that they interact with the lore in D&D because they're very mysterious, withdrawn, and they they have essentially a hive mind network connected to this elder brain, and they enslave people using their minds to just dominate other lesser creatures like thralls mm-hmm. or goblins or whatever. And I think that presents some very interesting potential for a very solid campaign. Oh yeah, like like the Lovecraftian nature of all that uh, is so amazing. Also, people yes. don't expect. I just had a mind flare in one of my campaigns, and it was amazing because my players have been doing really well and progressing uh, to the point where they're very good at physically outputting damage. Um, but the mind flare has a way of making all of its attacks mental. Um, that completely throws off and you have to fight it you have to fight it in a different way you have to be really strategic uh, so yeah i love yeah i can sense players. when other creatures are around it can i'm pretty sure it can read other people's thoughts but i'm not sure uh-huh and it does but, uh, something damage. along those lines yeah and just the the way that you can just psychically mess with your players is mm-hmm. really cool and i would love to run a campaign at some point i have one i had one all planned out but the the group just fell apart so I might have to revise it at some point. No, it's really cool because I feel like it's it's a canon way to get aliens into your D and D. If you read the lore, like they're not from this plane of existence or even this uh, what are they the spheres, the Great Wheel cosmology. They're completely <laughs> different and it, and really fascinating. So I think it's a great pick, David. Uh, for me, I'm trying to figure out which one. I have two main ones. 
Uh, I, I will put them not in any order. Um, the first one, I think I talked about last episode, uh, The Mimic. Um, I love Mimics. They can be anything. Um, they can really surprise players. Um, I think the main thing that makes Mimics amazing is scaling them uh, up in size or down in size. So think of the idea of a key being a Mimic. Like, that, like that's really interesting. Um, and it, it changes the way you view Mimics, like a gemstone being a Mimic. Um, or think of even on a massive scale, like um, a ship, like an entire ship being a Mimic. Um, or like uh, an entire house being a mimic. Uh, like I like I love just the creative ways you can use mimics to just make the world more absurd and more interesting. Um, I would love to see a player uh, capture a baby mimic. I don't really know what if they have an egg or or a larval form, <laughs> but then raising it up and then having this pet that can oh turn into anything it's, you need it to like, be. It's like morph from Treasure Planet. That little yes. Pink. Oh my god. Oh okay, that uh, is on my list. That is on my list. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh my gosh. And it could mimic, like, you could have it turn into, like, a key that you steal and then put the key back and you have that key. Like, there's so many different things. Or you could have it turn into the key that you need to open the door. You don't even need the key. Well, it doesn't have to technically touch. doesn't have to technically touch. I don't know how. Oh, no, it could. I I don't know. Regardless, that is super cool. Um, Okay, so, uh, but then the other one, uh, which I've used several times, uh, is, I believe I'm pronouncing it right, called uh, a Rakshasa. Uh, which is basically a tiger person um, that is secretly a demon uh, that can t- turn itself basically into anything. It can change its physical appearance. Um, oh, and yeah. when, whenever it dies, um, it goes back to the underworld and suffers until its body is born again. And it is born again with all of the same memories as before. Um, and it vows vengeance against whatever killed it, its previous life. Um, so it just does that repeat. Um, and so, yeah, the, the image in the monster manual is like this, this royal looking, this regal uh, tiger man that's holding this this pipe. Um, but but that's one of my favorites because I've been really lucky to play with the same players um, who have played in the same world um, in different time periods. So I had one kind of play in like the, the old fantasy, like early medieval, um, then kind of more the Renaissance and then kind of more the modern times. Um, and that Rakshasa... Uh, has targeted different players of uh, in those different timelines because it died and came back and then was still after that bloodline. Um, I love that concept over time. That's really interesting because I feel like you could build a certain type of campaign around it. Like you said, you had one where there was sort of um, generations or, or big jumps in time. Yes. Um, I would foresee a campaign where each session was an ancestor of one of the the players in the previous session and so you do have oh, these big cool. time skips and you have a story that's made to be told essentially over a long term so maybe you're seeing like in this session this this upcoming person is rising to power in this next session this person is now this dictator in the land in this next session like there's armies rising against him whatever uh, and then you would have this persistent enemy in the rock sasha yeah it's so great like his name i, I almost forget his normal name because we all at the table know him as zanzadar zanzadar was his name um, and so we'd show up and he'd be like, good evening, the name's Zanzadar. And all of them oh. are like, oh, and they're like, they know him from earlier, but none of their, their characters do. So, uh, it, I've, like I said, I, I have very lucky to have characters who don't metagame um, and don't just go, oh, I run away because I secretly know he's bad. Like, they have to go through the, all of the, the tricks knowing that he is evil and is after probably one of them. 
Um, it's a really good way. It's basically a built-in callback, um, which I think is, is really cool for sessions that take place in the same universe over time. So that's those are my two favorite. Super cool, super weird. I like it. So you guys all had two. I've only picked one, but there are three or four different types, of, like subtypes of this creature, and that creature okay. is the hag. Um, <laughs> oh, the hag Hags is just this horrifying. Isn't that your they are Jay? terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. hags are this really disgusting creature that looks like an old woman with sort of scabs and warts and what you would oh. think of in sort of a fairy tale witch way, but they're really not human beings. Um, they, they reproduce <laughs> by stealing babies out of cribs or it says in the book from pregnant mothers. I don't really want to imagine that, um, but they, oh they consume <laughs> the baby and then give birth to sort of a new baby that at age 13 becomes another hag, oh um, my. which I know, like it's Why so. Why have I gross. not read that? I'm, I wish I, I, I didn't. Kind of, that's so disgusting. Yeah, welcome to my my nightmare. My hag nightmare. I, <laughs> I can't not not see it. But you could really, and, and maybe for most of these creatures, you could um, build a campaign around this. And and the the hags all have the ability to cast the illusion on themselves that they just look like anyone else, so they can hide very well. Oh. And I want to run a campaign because it is. You could have a low fantasy, very small area. Um, essentially uh witcher style game where you're sent into the woods to kill a creature and you know you get into this hut and the person who hired you turns out was the hag and while you're gone they kill the entire town right um you can totally scooby-doo this thing and there's lots of options and lots of different types of creatures including a new one in volo's guide that's called the anis hag which uh i don't really know what an anis is but um sounds gross I think it's it where poop comes from. <laughs> yeah, that, ugh. Ha- knowing the hag, like, just hearing the backstory, I don't, I'm surprised I haven't read that, just sounds gross and mm-hmm. such a great, just grody villain. Um, ugh. And especially for new players who don't know sort of the boundaries of D&D or the systems, um, throwing something like that at them as their first, like, I guess you'd call it a miniature villain for the first five levels or so. Uh-huh. Um, would really keep them off balance because they don't know what a hag can do and they don't know what to expect. So, super cool. Yeah. And that concludes episode two and dragons. Thanks for listening. I've been William. I'm Jake. I'm David. We'll see you next time.